This week on Always Fun News, a new COVID strain has started to create waves among virus trackers. The variant is called BF7, short for BA5.2.1.7. It's the most transmissible yet, so you're probably going to start hearing a lot more about it soon. Hey, I'm just the messenger. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. This week, the FDA has authorized the release of numerous delayed batches of Moderna's Omicron-targeting booster shot after an issue with a factory inspection caused a backlog. Uganda declared an outbreak of Ebola on Tuesday, its first surge in more than a decade. Health authorities confirmed one case of the virus's Sudan strain in a 24-year-old man who died from the disease and are investigating six other deaths. And on Friday, Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans will unveil their commitment to America agenda. Details are thin so far, but it will include a proposal for broad expansion of telehealth. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. My colleague Adam Kankerin is here to talk about the commotion President Joe Biden created on 60 Minutes Sunday. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's but the pandemic is over. As you've been writing about, this was a lot more than just a gaffe. There's sort of been a long tail here. How has this threatened some of the administration's goals? Yeah, it's, I feel like it's going to be the, one of those moments where I, I always remember where I was when it happened. In all, in all seriousness, it, it has a couple of really immediate impacts beyond just the kind of political and rhetorical significance here. On the one hand, the administration is still pushing for billions of dollars in COVID funding into next year. And they've had a lot of trouble getting Republicans on board with that. This is obviously not going to help. It strengthens Republicans' ability to say, you know, you said the pandemic is over. Why should we be appropriating this money now? And secondly, it really kind of contradicts the vaccine, the booster effort that his administration has been making to try to get people vaccinated ahead of what they worry is going to be another winter wave. So those are maybe the two biggest areas where this is really going to, you know, make things a little bit more complicated, make things a little bit more difficult. So just to drill down on some of the effects on policy, Republicans have already used some of Biden's words to question vaccine mandates and federally funded programs like student loan forgiveness. What do you think are some of the other effects on policy that we might see? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So like there, there are the two these kind of two immediate things, the vaccine and the funding, right? But there are all these potential ripple effects that, you know, I think Biden in making these just kind of off the cuff comments obviously was not thinking through completely. Uh, you mentioned student loans. Part of the rationale for forgiving student loans was because there is an ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, right? And Republicans um, have just completely jumped on that now as uh, further rationale for them pushing back against Biden's ability to forgive these student loans. You know, secondly, we still have a public health emergency declaration that is in effect, and that's allowed us to do a number of things, including extend Medicaid coverage to millions more people who might otherwise not have it. And again, gives the GOP an opening here to say, why are we still under a, a PHE? Why are we still under this declaration? We should just be lifting it if the president of the United States doesn't believe that there is a pandemic to justify it. So these are the things now that the White House is having to walk back, is having to kind of deal with. And we're going to see how this ripples over the next, you know, couple of weeks and months. 
Yeah. So on the on the public health emergency, you know, the HHS is going to have a decision again in um, in a couple months whether to renew the public health emergency. How do you think that impacts it, and what sort of pressure do you think that'll put on you know HHS and the White House there? Our reporting at this point is that the public health emergency will be renewed when it comes up for expiration in October, and, and that is in part because HHS has committed to giving everybody a 60-day notice when they're going to let it expire, and also because there's a ton of things to unravel uh, in order to go back to our pre-PHE days, that Medicaid expansion you know, just being one of them. So that should take us until January. That will be another big decision point. And then if the PHE continues through January into March. So at this point, for anybody who's affected by it, it's kind of this month-by-month waiting game. But I don't expect us to get too far into 2023, barring obviously another major wave before talk begins about how do we let this expire? When do we let this expire? So it got me sort of thinking when I got the alert on my phone on Sunday when Biden made this statement, I was watching football and I was just thinking, you know, when is the pandemic actually over? The World Health Organization makes the call, but is there a difference between that sort of official declaration, how we see it in the U.S.? I mean, this is the central question, right? This is the crux of anything is, is, is what exactly the end game looks like. You know, I see the point that Biden was trying to make here. That being said, COVID is a thing that is, you know, we're never going to stamp out at this point. It's going to kind of continue to be with us. And so you, we're going to be in this kind of mushy situation for a while where, yes, a lot of us have largely gotten back to our regular lives. But there will always be effects of COVID. There will always be impacts. There are obviously even bigger impacts for folks who are older, folks who are immunocompromised, and how exactly they're going to live and go forward in a world where COVID is ever-present and the precautions that we've been taking to prevent infection are lower and lower. I don't envy them having to wind all that stuff down. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, this is part of the reason why, you know, it is obviously a political and policy decision, but it's also you know, just a matter of logistics. Well, thanks so much for making time, Adam. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. And we're back. One of our healthcare reporters, Alice Miranda Alstein, was on the Hill this week chasing down lawmakers to try to get a sort of reality check on the chances of additional COVID funding passing in Congress. Where do things stand on the COVID funding? COVID. Well, Republican senators think that Biden's comments negate the need for more funding. We got a hold of Republican Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama. I don't see any urgent need for that. And Missouri Republican Senator Roy Blunt. You know, I think we're going to have to have a serious discussion about the continued maintaining of the emergency orders and all of that means to other kinds of spending before we would have a serious talk about more COVID funding. Despite the odds, Democrats haven't given up yet, pointing out that COVID is still infecting and killing Americans every day. Here's Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York. We need to have another round of of COVID funding because without it, our hospitals are still struggling. We don't have the resources still for enough vaccines getting into the public as well as um, testing to make sure not only that it's widely accessible, but available um, and free because public schools can't afford to pay $20 a test 
and neither can a lot of working Americans. So we need availability as well as affordability. Where, where do things stand with the CR right now, given? So we're going to negotiate um, a continuing resolution and hope that we can include additional COVID funding for our hospitals and our public health networks. Um, I visited a bunch of hospitals throughout New York State over the break, and they're in dire need of support. They don't have enough staffing. Um, the big hospital networks are able to compete for the workers because they can pay more, and leaving a lot of rural hospitals and a lot of uh, hospitals from smaller cities without the uh, staff that they need. And so we are still very much in a public health crisis. There's not a whole lot of time left. Congress has less than nine days to avert a government shutdown. And that's our show this week. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zoller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Thanks for listening, and talk to you again next week.